Thank you, Bob and choir, Connie and Jan. Uh, it's a privilege to stand before you as your pastor and share God's Word with you this morning. Have you ever been in a situation that has gone from bad to worse? You know, Murphy's Law, we're all familiar with Murphy. If, any, if anything can go wrong, it will. There's a few other phrases that kind of go along with that. For example, the one who snores falls asleep first. Same idea. Or if you extend Murphy's Law a little bit more, it goes like this. If a series of events goes wrong, it will do so in the worst possible sequence. <laughs> Maybe not all the time, but we can all, we, we can all give testimony and attest that that's, that happens at times. Or uh, Gattuso's extension of Murphy's Law. Nothing is ever so bad that it can't get worse. And lastly, you have O'Toole gives a commentary on Murphy's Law, and he says, Murphy was an optimist. <laughs> you know, we, we've all been in those situations, though. We've all been in those situations in our lives where it has gone from bad to worse, or at least it seemed to. You know, when you're swallowed up by those types of circumstances, how do you respond? What do you do? Where does your mind go? Where does your soul go to? You know, we find ourselves in Jonah chapter 2. We see this man, Jonah. And on the front end, it looks like for him, the situation has gone from bad to worse. Because in chapter 1, your God told Jonah, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to the people of Nineveh, this great city, because they are, they are all living out this life of continually saying no to God. He calls it evil. It goes up before God, and God says, I want to send a messenger. Jonah, I'm going to send you. And I want you to preach against it. And embedded in that preaching is this idea that perhaps God will grant them grace and mercy if they turn to Him. And Jonah says, I don't want any part of that. Because see, Jonah did not like the Ninevites. And he did not want the same grace and mercy, the same message of God's Word that he had received. He did not want that extended to them. And so he boarded a ship, headed to Tarshish to go his own way. Now, have you ever done that? Have you ever said no to God and just went your own way in the opposite direction, which is exactly what Jonah did? He went to the, to the opposite direction of Nineveh. If Nineveh's over here, he's going this way, going his own way. Well, he boards the ship. He heads in the opposite direction. Now, God could have chosen another prophet, could He not? Surely there were more prophets than just Jonah. But He doesn't. And why not? It's because God is a good Father. Now, tell me this. Would a good Father stop loving or stop paying attention to a child simply because that child was disobedient? No, of course, of course they wouldn't. But he would, he would set his love on that child, but he would give specific type of attention. Would he not? It's called discipline. And let me clarify what I mean by that. I'm going to try to do that with our criminal justice system. There are basically two types of punishment that you receive for committing a crime. The first type 
I'll call remedial. It's remedial punishment. In other words, you commit a crime, you go into prison, or whatever the consequence may be. In other words, you receive a consequence for your crime, but in the midst of that, it is meant to remediate you, help you, uh, make you a more, uh, you know, I guess help you to become a, a good standing citizen. You know, try to correct some of those bad behaviors that you have. So it's remedial in nature. The second type of punishment that you may receive if you commit a crime, if the crime is horrendous, it's just punishment. There's no remediation uh, necessarily. In other words, we're not trying to help you uh, become part of society again. We're going to completely remove you for, from society forever. Uh, for example, if the young man that was involved in the, uh, the Boston Marathon bombing is found guilty, I, I very seriously doubt that he's going to receive some type of remedial type of punishment. But he is actually going to be separated from society uh, for as long as he lives. Now the type of discipline that, that God extends his children is of the first type. It's always remedial. It's always seeking to help you grow. It's always seeking to put you back on path with him and walk with him. And I want to read a passage from Hebrews chapter 12 that explains this type of discipline and gives us a glimpse into how good God is to his children. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 to 11 says this. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by Him. For the Lord disciplines the one He loves and chastises every son whom He receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which we all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them, but He, God, disciplines us for our good, that we may share His holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And this is exactly what the Lord is doing to Jonah. He could have chosen someone else. But He's not finished with Jonah. Because Jonah is his child. And so what God does is he sends a wind, causes a storm that threatens the lives of everyone on board the ship that Jonah was a passenger of. And Jonah is put in a position where he is pressed to admit his sin and receive the discipline of the Lord. Now he's put in an interesting position. If you remember last week when we discussed Jonah chapter 1. He is on this ship boarded to Tarshish and this great storm comes upon the sea, and the ship is breaking up. And so, if, if nothing is done, if Jonah does not admit his sin, the ship will break apart, and everyone on board will die. So Jonah could remain silent, and everybody on the ship will die. Or, he can confess his sin to the sailors, he can admit he's the one who has brought about this 
a storm upon the ship, it's his fault, and perhaps save the sailors by receiving the discipline of God. Now I want you to think about yourself for a moment. What, what does it take for you to confess your sin? I mean, are you, are you quick to confess your sin? Or do you have to be pressed by the Lord like this, like Jonah? You know, what, what does it take for us? What does it take for me? What does it take for you to deal with those areas of our lives where we have said no to God? Well, Jonah, he confesses his sin to the sailors. And he tells them, okay, this is, this is how you're going to be saved. This is how the storm is going to go away. You have to throw me overboard. And so after some dialogue back and forth, they agree and they throw him overboard. Now, if you were Jonah at this point, you would probably say, can this get any worse? Right? You have the storm, the ship's breaking apart, the only solution is to be thrown into the Mediterranean Sea in the middle of a storm. It's not looking very promising for Jonah. But according to Murphy, it can get worse. And so, verse 17 says, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, I just want to make one note quickly here before we go into this. One is, notice that uh, the wind obeys God, the sea obeys God, and the fish obeys God with no question. And yet, it's only Jonah (laughs) that disobeys God. And yet, God continues to pursue him uh, and gives him an opportunity to say yes to him. Now, on the front end of this, you're thrown into the sea, you're swallowed by a fish, you're probably not thinking to yourself, you know, this fish is an instrument of God's grace and mercy in my life. Probably not, at least on the front end. And I'm sure Jonah, you know, was a little uh, like Murphy there in that he's seeing a situation get worse. Yes, I was going to drown, and now I'm going to be digested by this big fish. Uh, It's not looking too promising. You know, a few nights ago, uh, this past week, I just woke up in the middle of the night, about 2 o'clock in the morning. I don't know if you've ever done this. I think you probably have. 2 o'clock in the morning, I could not get back to sleep. And, you know, my mind was churning and thinking of decisions that need to be made. Worry began to creep in, which intensified the churning. Maybe, Maybe you've been there. And I, you know, I was studying this passage all week long, Jonah chapter 2. And finally, after a while, uh, my mind finally shifted to the Lord. And I began to think about Jonah being in the belly of that great fish and how, how dark it must have been. And I can't imagine the smells that were in the fish. And I'm not a big fishy person. I like fish, but not the fishy, fishy tasting type or smelling type. And maybe you're like me on that. But I can't imagine what... If you're like my youngest daughter, Lily, she smells everything before she eats it. She says she's the smeller. So I don't know how she would respond in the belly of this fish, but I don't, I don't think it was... Um, he was probably thinking it would be nice to have some Febreze at this moment, perhaps, but it, I can't imagine smells. And just the dampness, the movement. I don't know what you experience, the movement inside of some large fish. Of course, I was not in a fish. I was in my bedroom. Um, 
And I was, even though I was in the comfort of that bedroom, I, I saw a common thread, though, that, that tied together the belly of the fish and the belly of my bedroom. And that common thread was an invitation. And it was an invitation to confess my sin. Turn from that and praise God. That was the invitation. And I think that was the invitation that not only I experienced this past week, but it was the invitation Jonah experienced as well. And the question is, will we accept that invitation? Well, we read in Jonah chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. His God from the belly of the fish. You see, it's, it's in the crucible of circumstance that oftentimes the door of prayer is slung wide open. And we walk through it. And Jonah, in his circumstance, in that, in that crucible, accepted the invitation to turn back to God. Just listen to his prayer. He says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and He answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, or the grave, I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me, all your waves, your billows passed over me. Now just notice God's ownership and sovereignty that Jonah acknowledges here. Your waves... Your billows. This is all yours. Your God is sovereign. He's the owner of all things. He's over all creation. Yet, with a fatherly eye, he's, he, always, he always has his eyes fixed upon his children in a loving way. He continues, he says, Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. In other words, there's this renewed confidence in Jonah that God is gracious. He's merciful. He's going to grant me forgiveness and restore me. He goes on to say, The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you, into your holy temple. Jonah hits the water. He begins to sink to the depths of the Mediterranean Sea. And as he sank into what seemed to be a hopeless situation, he prayed. Now, when you are sinking, and perhaps it's because of your own sin, your own choices, when you are sinking, and you face what seems to be a hopeless situation, how do you respond? Do you accept that invitation to call out to God? To seek God in prayer? He continues in verse 8 and he says, Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, but I with the voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. And the image here is just striking in this whole prayer. You know, just imagine sinking. The waters closed in over me. Verse 5. Verses 3 and 5. The deep surrounded me. 
Verse 5. Weeds were wrapped about my head. You can just picture it. The hopelessness of the situation. Verse 6. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. It's like he's in a prison with no escape. And then he says, my life, in verse 7, my life or my soul was fainting away. Now what, what is it that's swallowing you up? What is it that's closing in on you, wrapping around your head? Or causing your soul to turn in upon itself? And this is what I mean by that. Listen to what Calvin says about this phrase. He says, while we are tossed about by diverse thoughts and remain, as it were, bound up in a hopeless condition, then our soul may be said to roll or to fold up itself within us. In other words, when we are in these difficult circumstances, there is a, there is a part of us, an agent within us, this part of us that never seeks God, the remnant of the old person that is still present seeks to cause our soul to fold up into itself. Now what does that mean? I think it means that it seeks to communicate to us godless self-talk. Godless self-talk. It communicates that you know, God is not with you. It communicates that you are not worthy to receive God's grace. It communicates that you will never measure up. You will never be good enough. You can never be used by God because of what you've done. It communicates an anti-gospel. And I just want to encourage you, you know, what, what may be swallowing you up and cause, cause you to be in a hopeless situation, God may be using it to inject grace into your life. He may be swallowing you up in order to move you on to a place that He wants you to be. And this is exactly what we see with Jonah. You know, Jonah escapes the godless self-talk and he allows himself to be swallowed by grace. And this is what we read in verse 10. It says, The Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. You know, when you are in a difficult situation, it may seem that you are being swallowed up by judgment. But, perhaps when you are on the other side of it, whenever that may be, you may look back and realize that you were swallowed by grace. And this all should prompt a question. And that question is this. How can a sovereign, holy God extend such grace and mercy and forgiveness to those who have so blatantly rebelled against Him. How can He do that? Well, the answer is there is someone that is greater than Jonah who was not simply thrown over the side of a ship, but rather was willingly thrown upon a cross. And unlike Jonah, Jesus was without sin, and yet He willingly died so that others might live. And Jesus spent three days, not in the belly of a fish, but in the belly of a tomb, so that God's justice 
could be satisfied. And on the third day, God raised Jesus from the dead, swallowing death forever, so that if you are a follower of Christ, although you may be swallowed up by various circumstances, and these circumstances, you may have brought them on yourself. They may be a result of your own sin. And yet, even in the midst of that, if you are a follower of Christ, because of what Christ has accomplished on the cross, you can be confident that God, your heavenly Father, is working all things together for your good. Listen to this part of the hymn. It's called How Firm a Foundation. I just want to read you a few lines from this hymn. It says, When through the deep waters I call you to go, the rivers of woe shall not overflow. For I will be with you your troubles to bless and sanctify to you your deepest distress. The soul that on Jesus has leaned for repose, I will not, I will not desert to its foes. That soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. That is true if you are in Christ. If your faith is in the one who is greater than Jonah. You can have confidence, even though you've been swallowed up, you may be in the process of being swallowed up. And you may be saying, can it get any worse? Will you accept the invitation in the midst of that crucible of circumstance to confess, turn to God, and praise Him with the confidence that that God is working all things for your good? Let us pray. God, we come to You with limited sight. We acknowledge that. We can't explain why things happen, how they happen. Uh, We can't put all the pieces of the puzzle together. The threads are being uh, threaded, and yet we cannot see the, the large picture on the tapestry. But God, we believe You are sovereign. Your Word teaches it. They're Your waves. They're Your billows. You call to the wind, the sea, the fish the world. And Lord, you tell us that as your children, those who are in Jesus Christ, that you are our Father, that everything you allow to happen to us is for our good, that we may be who you want us to be. And Lord, as we face various trials, some we've brought upon ourselves. Lord, we just thank You that You don't leave us, You don't forsake us, but You're constantly extending the invitation to turn to You, confess known sin, and praise You in the midst of it. Lord, help us by Your Spirit to do just that. In Jesus' name, Amen.